Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Uh, joining us now, the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. He is the head coach of the number one ranked Purdue Boilermakers. He is Matt Painter. Matt, hello. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you got a big one coming up this weekend, the inaugural Indy Classic down at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. I want to get to your team and where they are right now in the season to date in a second, but uh, how good does it feel to get you and your guys at Gamebridge Fieldhouse for a neutral side game? Well, obviously, you know, we had um, – you know, the setup before, which was really ideal. That was great for us and, and great for the state of Indiana. And it's too bad that it went away. Um, but, you know, we want to keep, you know, trying to play in Indianapolis. It's hard because now, you know, like this is, you know, are, are we going to be able to keep things going with different teams coming in each year and doing different things? And so we're looking at a lot of different options and stuff. But, we, you know, we um, thought this was great. Obviously, we have played Davidson in Indianapolis before. And now being able to play this game with Fletcher and Foster Lawyer being able to play each other was pretty cool. Yeah, was that part of it, a little bit of it, the, the intrigue bit, of brother-on-brother yeah. brother there? Yeah, you're trying to, you know, get some help. You got a third party in there. And so, like, you're trying to just, you know, get quality opponents playing Indianapolis. And then when that kind of came up, you know, organically, we jumped on it. Yeah, and Sports Corp doing stuff around here is always really good. I mean, you can count on something being classic as the Indy Classic will be Saturday. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt about it. They've done a great job. That's uh, Matt Painter joining us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline again. Davidson and Purdue coming up on Saturday. Well, um, I, I want to go back to Nebraska, if you don't mind, too, because you talked about it after the game. Um, it, it's tough to shoot the ball like that and still get away with the win. That was one of those games, Matt, where I think you're going to look back and go, wow, this was a signature moment in our season because of the way that you survived, got a win, and then got the hell out of Dodge. I mean, that's going to make yeah. it extra special. Yeah, no question. We missed a lot of shots. We were in really good position. Our concentration wasn't very good um, in the second half, and even in overtime, we had some, um, you know, just some plays that you like to have back, and you know, missing layups, missing front end of one and ones, wide open threes. But like, we couldn't get a rebound there at the end of the game. They had like four offensive rebounds in one possession, which you could call the most crucial, you know, possession of the game, and we still were able to get the ball back. But there was a lot of learning moments there where we lose our concentration, we don't focus, um, that now we can get better from and, and still win the game. We were very, very fortunate to win that game. You know, I want to get back to that second to final possession you're talking about, and it seemed like that they had six legitimate <laughs> chances. And I don't know, <laughs> you, yeah. you and I both come from the same line of what we love growing up in basketball. The only thing that I could think about was when Moses Malone used to like put it up short purposely <laughs> to pad his rebound stats. I mean, yeah. that was an incredible, and I mean an incredible uh, well, the, series yeah, the first right there. Shot of it was off the side of the backboard, so yeah. like. You can't blame guys when that you know that kind of squids out of there, and you know, and like they get the ball from that after it hits, it ricochets off the corner of the backboard. But then after that, like oh, they had one bad miss, but the other ones they were just quicker to the basketball. You got to be able to get the basketball in that possession. We don't match up in transition one time late. Um, they get a wide open shot. 
Um, our one guy doesn't want to rotate because he's on Tamanagi and he's played so well. And so we stay home on that, which I totally understood. But we just we, we just had some plays where it was just total lack of concentration and um, we just have to do a better job. You understand about the missed shots. A lot of people, you know, they overreact to missed shots. When your execution's pretty good, you get what you want. You get an open shot and you miss it. Nobody's trying to miss a shot. You know, you're cool with that. You just got to keep grinding and keep defending and playing hard and figure out a way to win the game. Yeah, it reminded me of that Florida State game in a sense where guys from Nebraska, they they started out, you know, shooting and they continued to shoot it well. Those are the games that concern me uh, where a team that maybe hasn't played up to what it thought it was going to be. Florida State was kind of like that. They just kept making shots and shots that maybe wouldn't be what they normally would make. I think it's even tougher to survive a team that's kind of zoned up as they were shooting the basketball, uh, especially in that second half, to keep pace with you guys. Yeah, in those games, like you would rather have it that way because you're more open than people yeah. just staying with shooters and stuff like that. But then after you miss a handful of them, you know, I always compare it to Star Wars and the, and the walls coming in. Like, you know, you just start to feel it. And I'm, I'm big on those guys in, in terms of if they pass up open shots – you know, we're going to say something like, you got to take your open shots. We're not putting anybody out there that can't shoot. You know, take your open rhythm shots and just be process-based. Don't be results-based. Fans are results-based. Be process-based. Do things the right way. Stick with it because the percentage is set. It's going to work out. It's, uh, Matt Painter with us. You guys this week voted number one in the nation. Um, what do you tell your guys uh, about that, about some of the, the notoriety and the pats on the back they get? And yeah. I know that was that way a year ago. It was short-lived. But what do you tell your guys in a situation like this? Well, that's what one of our guys talked about when we we found out yesterday at the end of practice. You know, he talked about how short-lived it was and how it was kind of a remote emotional roller coaster. And, you know, there's no doubt there's a burden there. Um, You know, Tom Izzo texted me the other day and said, you know, it's definitely a burden, but it's a good burden. You know, it's something yeah. you want. It's not something that, like, hey, man, this is going to be tough for us. It's like, no, this is something you should embrace. But also, you know, whatever got you to those positions, it's like a game, right? You're up 14 with 14 minutes to go. Like, whatever got you to that point, you want to continue to do that on both ends of the court. Um, well, whatever has gotten us to this point, we have to be able to continue to do that and just keep playing to our strengths but keep getting better. And uh, they they get that, but it's it's also something that you have to go through and and be able to you know be productive on our end and, and do everything in our power to put ourselves in position to win. He is Matt Painter, the head coach of the number one ranked Purdue Boilermakers. Boilermakers Davidson, the inaugural Indy Classic coming up on Saturday. Zach Eady, we talked right before the start of the season, and we'll get into a couple of things here. But he goes from a year ago, I believe, playing an average of nineteen and a half per game to where um, even before that Nebraska game, it was around I don't know four or twenty nine or some in that neighborhood. Did you think right. he was going to have that, that type of conditioning in him to be able to withstand and play at a high level that longer or that much longer than he did, for example, a year ago? Yeah, without question. You know, he didn't play the minutes that he did before. When he first got here, we got into some real tough matchups with him in his second year. Obviously, him and Travion were there in the first year with him, and then the second year, then obviously – those guys just kind of split in time because of their value and they can only play the, you know, that position. So, um, you know, he's never really had that issue. You know, he's kind of working into things with this being a six year of organized basketball. And I try to compare that. I played in organized basketball when I was five years old. So like, you know, my six years when I was 11, 
And like, you know, yeah. if you just keep that in perspective, like he's on the come, like he's going to get even better. He's playing harder. Um, he understands things better. He's a better passer, um, but he gives a good effort. He's always had pretty good stamina. And, and so now he's just getting the opportunity to kind of grow it. It's tough for me because the people in his position, Caleb first, Trey Kaufman, Mason Gillis, they're all really good players. So everybody's like, oh, man, he gets 30 minutes, he gets to play. And now those guys got to split 50 minutes somehow. And no matter what we do, one person's always out, left out in the cold. Now with Mason being out, we actually finished the game small the other night because of their ability to move and shoot the basketball was giving us some issues. So, um, you know, we, we can go a lot of different ways. But, you know, when, when someone's playing that well and rebounding the basketball that well and doing all the little things and playing without fouling, it's really hard to take him out of the game. You know, obviously he's played really well here in the first 10 games. You know, also we talked about the whistle that he has received in the past compared to what right. we have seen so far. I'm assuming everybody's happy with that whistle to this point, right? Yeah, you still have moments. Like, there's still things that happen in the game. Like, he made a pass in the Nebraska game, and, like, there's a turnover, and you go back, and they, you know, they hit him on the arm, and that's why the ball, you know, dies halfway. There, there's still some they, they face boxed out a couple times in Nebraska that didn't get called. They face boxed out a couple times they did get called. Um, I'm not going to complain about anything because we got a very generous call. <laughs> at the end of that yeah. Nebraska game. Yeah. Very, very fortunate. But as you go back and you look through and you watch the whole game, like I always say that to our players, don't magnify the last play. Like don't magnify play. You're going to get a call here and there. You're going to get one that goes against you. It's just it's the way it is. It's everything that happens throughout the course of the game. Value every possession throughout the game, and you'll definitely put yourself in a better spot. Hey, Matt, when was the last time you were happy with an anticipation whistle like that? <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. So he gets into like different situations because of his size. Like I, what I don't like about it, I don't like how rules are set up. It's like the the flop on, on the guy taking a charge. It's like I, I don't like the rule because coaches tell players to take a charge. So you got somebody who's trying to do something, which is a basketball play, then they get a flop call for it, and, it, and it's really hard. Well, then they got the cylinder call. And so, like, now they'll come out where someone will elbow somebody in the head, they'll go to the monitor, and they'll be like, ah, well, he was in his cylinder first. Well, somebody's in Zach Eady's cylinder about 40 to 50 times during the game. So I, I don't like the call because you can't call it every time. If you're going to put a rule in that says, okay, when this happens, you know, we're going to call this, you can't be selective with that. You know, what, what's a foul in the first minute? It's a foul in the last minute. And they really get up into a space because they have to. And you understand that. But then you can't have this, you know, this cylinder rule that you keep calling because people just crowd him and take up a space. Um, so we, we got to get some, some better consistency in what we're doing. How often do you have to calm down the fearless freshman you have in your backcourt? Um, you know, they're just going through some things, you know, that they've been put uh, – well, they've put themselves in great positions. Like, they've earned everything that they've gotten. Um, nothing's handed to them. And, uh, you know, Braden learning to play with the shot clock a little bit and kind of understanding different scenarios because he has the ball in his hand so much. Um, they're both really confident. So sometimes, like, they'll go make a play, and you'd be like, man, they've been struggling a little bit here. Then they'll go make a great play. And, uh, you know, that's something you just don't see for young guys. You normally see more doubt. But there's a lot of examples, a lot of different scenarios that have popped up um, that, you know, you just learn from. And as you go on, there's nothing like game experience. And, uh, you know, they're learning on the fly a little bit. But both of them are very competitive, very intelligent. Um, they both play to win. Um, both are selfless. So they have a lot of the same qualities. 
um, as, as players and people. Yeah, and I, you look at um, it seems like that the Fletcher steps into one. I mean, he's always going to step into it with confidence. Don't get me wrong, but even more so at that level, you have seen that I think evolve mm-hmm. over the early portion of the season. And and Braden, I mean, he, you can't slow him down. He just he goes at it about as full throttle as as anybody can. I think. Yeah, you know, he's that, you know, quintessential point guard. And so at times with those guys that are that way, that can see so much, sometimes they forget that they're a threat too. So really trying to encourage him to take his shots, look for his pull-up, get his catch-and-shoot threes, still attack the rim looking for his too, not just always attacking the rim looking for other people. But he does such a good job of setting people up and, and really whipping that ball around. Fletch is a good passer also. Um, doesn't quite have the same jets where he gets by people as much as Braden. And then Ethan Morton can really pass the basketball. Zach's a very selfless player, and he'll pass it out of the post. So anytime you do that and people say, hey, man, I really like your team, that just means they play hard and they pass the basketball. Fans love seeing people share the basketball and play the game the right way. It's uh, Matt Painter, the head coach of the Boilermakers, the inaugural Indy Classics coming up on Saturday. Gamebridge Fieldhouse, I want to get to Davidson with you in that matchup in just a second. But you, you talked about this. We talked about this at the beginning of the season. Uh, is, is it uh, tough to, to give out clock to, to guys that you know that deserve it, but maybe because of the matchup they're not getting as much as they thought? Or is everybody seemingly yeah. happy? when you're playing at the level of collegiate basketball in which you guys presently are? No, you're never completely happy, you know, and, I, and, and and rightfully so. Like, I don't want people that, you know, play 10 minutes a game to, like, like to be like, okay, I'm just going to play 10 minutes and that's cool. You know, I want them to fight every single day in practice and try to put themselves in a better position, but also be professional about it. I think that's where you've got to get young people to understand that, like, hey, like, you got some people in front of you here now you could help yourself, you know, if you get mad or you blame people, you do different things. And that's what is so important for the people around a player. If the people around a player encourage them to be positive, listen to coaches, keep practicing hard, put in extra time, keep your nose clean, all those good things, you know, you're really helping that person. If you're telling them that, you know, they're, they're, they're getting screwed over, you know, there's a problem, like he doesn't like you, like, you know, you just get into the, the whole stuff that young people kind of go through with people that, that have never been a part of it. It's impossible for people to speak on something when they're not here. And so even though if you might know basketball, I always say that just because you have the ESPN package doesn't make you a genius. Right. You know, you're not you're not there every single day for two to three hours. You, you don't see what's going on. And once the season starts, like you've been competing June, July, August, September, October, November, like, you know, you've, you know, you've put in a lot of time when the games start, it's really hard because the practices aren't as long. They're not as hard. Um, you're getting ready for the next opponent. You want to be fresh for those games and you can't move the needle as much. You got to move the needle when you get those opportunities to play that 10, 12 minutes. Now you play well in your role. Now you help yourself and then you, you know, you get more minutes and now you understand what's going on. So the knowledge is so important. Like if you got to know what you're doing and if you have, if you've been through it before and you don't quite know what you're doing, now you worry about that as a coach. When you haven't been through it and you're young, it's a little different because now you got to just keep learning. You got to keep growing. But once you kind of get some things figured out, you can't go backwards. You know, we, we can't relearn this. We took the class, we mastered the class. We, we can't look at it 
six months later when the new season starts, like, you know, you've never seen the material before. You got to know what the hell's going on. And we got a lot of knowledgeable guys. We got a lot of guys that have been selfless. They've really helped us. But we also got some guys on our bench that are eager, that want to prove themselves. And I really like that. Well, and I was curious about this because, you know, we see the game situations, but where is more of your gauge of trying to, to figure out who is deserving of, of playing time of clock? Is it in the practice time that you see where we don't or game time situations that we see? It's, it's both. It's both. There's some people think it's one or the other, but yeah. it's, it's just the totality of, you know, it, and you got to have a good way about you. You know, you got to have a competitive spirit about you. You have to have a good attitude. You're just going to help your team that way. And the guys that do that, that come off the bench, that keep that attitude, that are ready and free, because they want to start and play 30 minutes, like you know, and that's hard, especially when young people, you know, start over here, they play more than you do. That's a real hard thing to swallow, um, but you have to be able to do it. Like, and I, and I pride myself in being fair. And then some guys, like you, get to that point, and like then you might not like your role, and that's hard. I think you see a lot of that with the, the transfer portal. A lot of kids aren't transferring to win. A lot of kids are transferring for the role that they want. Well, is that the role that you want and you're going to win with that role? And sometimes it's relative. Like someone says, man, if you would just give me a chance, I would do X, Y, and Z. And you're saying, oh, so I should play you instead of Zach Eady. I should play you instead of Jay Nivey. should play you instead of Travion Williams. It's relative. There's, some, there's other people there that are competing against you. And if they establish themselves, now you got to fit yourself. And we've talked about this before. It's making sure that you're honest with guys, and they say, well, how, are you, how do you think you're going to use me? Well, if you become one of our top two or three scorers, here's how I'm going to use you. But if you're not, like I don't run plays for our sixth man. I don't run plays for our third guy off the bench. I run plays for Zach Eady. I run plays for Braden Smith. You know, I ran plays for Sasha Stefanovic because he proved when he was open he could make it, and he proved when he was covered he didn't turn it over and he could get the ball where it needed to be. So sometimes you can run stuff for guys, and if they can score, great, and they're open. But if you run stuff and then they're not open, you know, are they going to do crazy stuff? Are they going to, you know, make bad passes, take bad shots? So it's that trust, and, and, and trust is a big piece of the basketball you know, equation, you know, can you, you know, can you be trusted to defend late in the game? Can you be trusted to execute a play late in the game? And, and that trust comes now when you start to get that trust and you build that and you play well, that's when you see guys really take off. And the whole transfer thing, and I sound like an old fart saying this, but it's just like now there's no accountability. All right, I don't like this, I'm going to move here. I don't like that, I'm going to move there. And that's yeah. that's where we are right now. And I'll tell you, accountability is becoming increasingly more difficult to find when it comes to, yeah. to sports. Well, they, they grabbed a lot of variables to me that don't make sense. And, you know, you, you they want a lot of the, the same from this sport to that sport to that sport. And I think you have to do what's best for your sport, whatever. And, um you got to understand, like in Division One, like ninety nine percent of them don't go to the NBA. You know, like you got to like just take a step back. And I understand that's your dream, you know, to go to the NBA. Nobody has taken that dream away, and you're allowing all this movement for what? Are we are, in the whole in the masses? Are we doing better for the student athletes from an education standpoint, and are we doing better for them from a basketball standpoint? And I think once those numbers start to collect here in three, four, five, six years, as we kind of get through some of this in a cycle, uh, I, I think we're going to see that those numbers aren't going to be the same. And, and, and that's, that's really sad because in leadership, you stand up to the powers to be and you do what's right for the student athletes. And I don't feel like that was done in this, 
in this part. And there's a lot of different arguments. Like they're trying to say all the sports can do it. Now all these kids should be able to do it. And you're like, well, like at the end of the day, we're not trying to have them have a great basketball career as much as we're trying to have them have a great life. And you've, you've taken basketball as a vehicle, no different than somebody going to the Army who got into trouble. You know, that was what used to happen a lot. You know, guys would get in trouble. They'd go before a judge. They'd say, well, here's the deal. You can do six months in the county here, or you can go to, you know, go to the Army and get your act and, and clean up. And it just it starts their life. But it's that discipline, right? It's that discipline of somebody holding them accountable yep. that now gives them the discipline. I always talk to our guys about it. The more discipline you have, the more fun you have. And just like that's basketball, you know, when you get discipline, you get freedom. If you don't have any discipline, you can't have any freedom as a player. It just doesn't work that way. And so there's a lot of things that get thrown around by a bunch of people that don't coach basketball and don't deal with guys. But at the end of the day, when somebody is one of your former players and then they struggle, you're there to help them. Like that's, that's your, that's your role as a coach. Like you're there to help them when they're 30, you're there to help them when they're 40, when something goes on. But what about the kid that played at four schools in five years? He's been loyal to nobody. He's just hooped. That's great. You know, it's a pickup game. Go play at the Y then, you know, but this is life, man. We had a chance to, you know, lock him in and he struggled. And now we battle through adversity because what's going to happen with these guys when they go out into life and they hit, hit adversity, you can't transfer in life all the time. You know, you, you got to be able to sit in and at some point and work through some adversity. And I, I, I just I don't agree with it whatsoever. And I do like people that, that you know, there, there are some times when you have to be able to transfer. There's a bunch of examples of positive transfers, but they said they were going to do a one time transfer. And now they're letting people just go whenever they want. And they changed it, and it just—I I just don't believe it's the right. Thing. It, you know what? To and I—I I for one, I, I would have probably made bad decisions. Maybe I guess when I was younger, you know, given some of the chances these guys have. But at the same time, there's always something about looking back and that gratification you get for being able to get through something, being able to charge through something, right. get through right. adversity, get through situations that you didn't think at the time was healthy or good for you, but you got through it. And, man, there is a high level when you get older of gratification for surviving and getting through something like that. No doubt. You know, you're facing it. You're always facing it. You know, that's just that's just the way it is. You know, the way to get through something is just to, to keep facing it and, and keep battling it. And you don't like it. Nobody likes it. You know, you want to like you want to run yep. for the hills. <laughs> we, yeah. we all want to run for the hills. But at, at some point, like, you know, when they go through this, it really helps them. It really helps. And they might not like you as a coach or whatever, but at the end of the day, you hope that they respect you. But once they become in charge or they get married or they get the boss for the first time, some things start clicking. Like, you know, I, I thought my old man was a fool until I was about 30. Yeah. You know, I thought Gene Cady was a fool until about my third or fourth year of coaching. I started to realize, like, some of the things that he did was pretty intelligent. Like, you just you just don't know. You know, you don't know what you don't know. Then once you start to go through life and you start to get into some grinders, you know, in a lot of different scenarios, you realize the people that came before you were just more or less trying to stop you from making the same mistake that they probably made at your age. Yeah, no doubt about that. Matt Painter's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Before I let you go, Davidson, the matchup you have in the inaugural Indy Classic at Gambridge Fieldhouse on Saturday, what do you think? And I know, you know, you're watching a little bit a video right now on that team what do you think about them right well they, they're going to stretch you out a little bit like they, they got some interior guys that can step out and shoot the basketball obviously uh foster Laurie is a very good player averages 20 um their center can go inside and outside Minigas is a good player averages about 16 points 
So it's uh, Bob McKillop's son is now the head coach. And so they have a lot of carry over there. They, they have an assistant that was there for a long time that left. That was a head coach that's back. So they have a lot of tradition. They have a lot of the same ways you know, before with Coach McKillop was there. And um, they're just a really good team. We played them in Charleston. They just have a really good program and, and how they defend with a team defense. And they run some really good stuff on the offensive end. So this is going to be a good challenge for us. Um, we, you know, we just got to stay connected and, uh, and and keep getting better. What, twice, I believe, right? Didn't you guys beat Curry once upon a time years ago? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. They also, it, it kind of gets left out that, uh, Bob was really trying to schedule up, you know, with Steph Curry, yeah. and they were on a they were on a worldwide tour. Like, and we called him at the world at the end of their worldwide tour, and they also called us after you know Duke beat us pretty good here at Mackey Arena. So the human behavior of the game um, really helped us, and I think it really hurt them with how many people they had to play and how much they had to travel before they played us. Hey, one more quick thing before I let you go: How much? Besides the winning and the good fortune and the good fortune you made for yourselves in Portland, how much did those particular days and games do for your team and its growth? Well, I think just the confidence that it built. Like you go into it, you know, you're just, you know, you're ecstatic about beating West Virginia. You know, you don't know if you're going to beat West Virginia, and that was a tough game for us. And then being able to play Gonzaga and their tradition and their talent, and with a great coach, and same thing at Duke. You know, with all their talent and. You know, just yeah. it's, it's tough, and I, I, I we didn't really play that well offensively at times. Um, but I thought we played hard, and I thought defensively we made some strides while we were in Portland, and we stuck together, and we had different guys step up. But there's no doubt that that that, that gave us some confidence. And, and now, you know, a lot of times when you fail, and we haven't lost yet. You know, things get you know things get real pretty quick. Um, and, and we just haven't got to that point where we, we've had that loss. We almost had one. But just trying to get them to learn while we're still winning some games here. you you got to keep learning. you got to keep getting better. And, you know, winning will make you comfortable. It will make you relax. And it's kind of a subconscious you know, thought. And, and as a coach, you really got to keep them on edge and stay with them while you're winning. You want to build off of it, but you also got – you're making mistakes. And I always talk about this. Now, you're doing good things when you lose. You know, and you're making mistakes when you win. Obviously, the extreme can get pushed a little bit, depending on how much you're winning by or how much you're losing by. But you got to keep that in perspective as a coach, and you know, just keep hammering on the positives, um, especially when you know you've lost maybe some close ones. But also, there's there's some negatives out there, and I thought there was a lot of negatives, especially at the end of that game, that we got to get better at. And um, you know, hopefully, we can do that here in practice this week, getting ready for the game on Saturday. And the Sports Corp does a great job of putting together again. And the inaugural Indy Classic is going on at Gambridge Fieldhouse on Saturday. The Boilermakers and Davidson, I think Illinois State. And Michael Lewis, well, hanging around with the Ball State first-year head coach as well down there. So that should be one hell of a day of basketball. Matt Painter on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. It is always a pleasure. I kind of feel bad when I actually talk. I mean, I, it, we need need you to talk the entire time. I feel like that I'm kind of <laughs> I'm wasting time when I open my mouth here. So you're always no, you're really fine. good to us. Appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate it, man, more than you know. We'll do it again soon. All right, man. See you. Thank All right, you. You got it. It's uh, Matt Painter on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Seriously, every time I open my mouth, I go, wow, I should just let him. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com 
and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Kevin Bowen of the Morning Show back with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So what are you doing, screwing up the show now? What happened? Well, that was the Janet Jackson and ludicrous comments or what there, but all of a sudden I was just talking to the wall. That was really awkward for about. Did you, how long did you talk before you realized I was no longer there? Well, you know, usually you can kind of hear the ambient noise you have in the background. I thought, you know, maybe they just muted John, muted John. Maybe he had a, I don't know, fart or something. But uh, so I got about 15, 20 seconds in and then I'm like, Oh man, I'm gone. Did you ask if I, you thought maybe I farted? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and and I know you don't, you know, you aren't a big road road game guy, so I'm sure you probably did a nice job of of, of not going down that path. But I don't know. I thought yeah. maybe Kyle muted you for a second there, so well, I, I, I I wasn't totally sure. I I am sitting on a cushioned chair, so you probably wouldn't hear it. Now, if I were sitting in a wooden chair here, you would definitely hear that. But I was sitting in the cushion chair, so I think all was all was good. Well, I, I think I only talked about 10 seconds before I realized that you were gone, and that's good. But I did start getting in on the Pacers, and, and I think what we realized, Kev, that there are a lot of characteristics about this team that we knew we were going to see. It is still, mind you, much better than what a lot of us, especially me, thought it was going to look like. But a lot of that advanced scouting, You know, a lot of the better teams, a lot of that schedule early on prior to that Western road swing, you can kind of see that catching up with them a little bit right now, can't you? Certainly. Yeah, certainly. At the same time, you know, 14 and 14, I I don't think really many people, if any, thought this would be um, how they would start. Um, Yeah, I think what's been disappointing, particularly in some of these losses, particularly out West, is I just thought they got thoroughly outplayed. They weren't as you know, competitive as Monday night was. And Monday wasn't yeah. a great start with Miami at all. But you obviously got back in the game, took the lead in the third quarter. You didn't really feel that in many of those games out West. Um, but Rick Carlisle, I thought, has been very honest and upfront about the schedule breaks the Pacers got early on, knowing that, you know, they were catching some teams off guard and some teams were probably looking at the Pacers as an opponent saying, oh, here's an opportunity to rest a guy or, you know, here's an opportunity maybe – to kind of steal one um, and credit to the Pacers for being, you know, extremely locked in early in the season and get miles back after missing that first week was huge. And, you know, they rattled off all those wins early on. So, you know, I, I'd never felt like even early, early, like, Oh yeah, it's a team that's going to host the playoff series or anything like that. You know, you knew water was going to find its level eventually. And at the same point, you know, if, and when you do make trades around the trade deadline, it's probably going to take another step back. Um, so I think all in all, you have to be encouraged by what you've seen because there have been good stretches of basketball. The young guys, several of them continue to impress some probably more than we thought originally. And at the end of the day, I think a lot of fans realize the big picture is the most important thing. And with Boston and Cleveland, those two draft picks are getting next year, looking like they're going to be very late in the first round, making sure that your pick is in the lottery is still really, really important. And I think at the end of the day, that's where the Pacers will be. Yeah, and and we'll see. I mean, this is a, a matchup that we'll see if Curry ends up playing tonight. But there's no Draymond Green. There's no Klay Thompson. Um, and this is the same team where Nemhard had 31, and the Pacers beat them in San Francisco. By the way, I guess Draymond Green is playing. Take that back. Draymond Green is playing tonight. 
So we haven't heard word on Steph Curry, but Draymond Green is playing tonight. Klay Thompson is not playing tonight. A part of that load management from the multitude of injuries he's dealt with the past uh, couple, three years. But no Klay Thompson. Draymond Green is playing coming up later on tonight. I, I think I heard a, a promo that had Rick Carlisle talking to you and Jake about Tyrese Halliburton and the whole plus-minus compared to the one-point offensive effort on Monday night. How much of the plus-minus stuff do you buy? Yeah, I'm not like – I don't think it's gospel by any means. I I, I kind of like to look at the eye test and think to myself, you know, man, I feel like the Pacers have been real – or, you know, insert basketball team here. They've been really good at that guy on the floor tonight. And then you, you know, kind of go to the box score to see if that's confirmed. But, I mean, there are certainly times where – you know, guys can play very well individually and not have a great plus minus. So, again, I don't, Rick was very adamant about that the other night in that, you know, he felt like it was an indication of what Tyrese was doing, which was interesting because it's not like he had a huge assist number either on Monday night. It's not like he didn't make a single shot and then had 12 assists. I want to say it was like right around six or seven for him on Monday. I just think bigger picture with Halliburton this year, John, is, and I get it, Miami has such great personnel to be able to do what they did on Monday, switch everybody, Bam Adebayo, of course, being one of the more, you know, special big guys really in the league and his ability to defend one through five. And again, not every team has that personnel, but every team's going to realize Halliburton is the head of the snake and his ability to not only distribute, but score at a really high level um, is what is the Pacers catalyst. Um, so I do think whether it was, you know, Jaden McDaniels last week with his length for Minnesota or, again, what you saw on Monday night, I think you'll continue to see that. Like if the Pacers, if Golden State was fully healthy tonight, I would assume Andrew Wiggins would be on Tyrese Halliburton, just knowing that he initiates and starts everything. So I think that is another aspect of the season that now that you're 20 games into it, you know, a bit of a blueprint has been there. I think Halliburton is still a really, really good player and can find other ways to impact the game like he did on Monday. But I just think the defensive attempt continue to be there. Well, I mean, and they just needed his offense. I mean, any offense whatsoever. And, and they probably have a really good chance if he gives them anything at all offensively to win that game. And if you watched it down the stretch, the reason why they lost was the playmaking ability down the stretch of Jimmy Butler. I mean, that was it. I mean, he was he was way too much offensively for them defensively, but they would have been right there if not winning that game had Halliburton given them anything. And I, I think that's a Rick Carlisle way of kind of cushioning the blow for somebody that really cares about their night to night games as he does. And knowing that at home that that was a far from a offensive guard. Yeah, and, and, you know, obviously Butler took over late. You just can't continue to get off to these bad starts. It just puts so much right. pressure on you throughout the game, and you expend, I think, so much energy getting back into that game that sometimes when you get tied or you, 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 you take your first lead, you naturally have a level of let-up or complacency of like, hey, look, we finally did it. All, all's good in the world. And then that's when, you know, Miami on Monday was able to kind of hit you with that counter punch. Obviously, Butler has been used to that. You know, he's a guy that makes those plays late. But when you dig yourself, you know, 15-point holes in the first half on a routine basis, it's just not a recipe for any sort of success. I mean, the Colts feel that, you know, from a game-in, game-out standpoint with how poor their starts have been throughout this season. I get in the NBA, it's a little bit easier. 
to make those runs and you've got different units that go in and out and that helps. But um, as much as the late game minutes get all the attention and I understand why they do, again, the Pacers have got to find out ways to get off to better starts. So Kevin Bowen, morning show, Kevin and Query, 7 until 10 a.m. weekday mornings here on The Fan. Kev's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Um, I, I want to move over to the Colts and a couple of things. Jeff Saturday, you guys were asking him about, you know, does he want to be the coach? Does he want to be involved? And clearly, clearly he still does, at least if you take him at his word. I think we both agree that Jim Irsay really wants him to be the coach. When it's said and done, though, in the court of public opinion out there of Colts fans, did Jim Irsay do Jeff Saturday and selling it to the fans here a complete disservice and botch it by bringing him on board when he did, knowing that anybody that was coaching this team was going to have a similar outcome to this point in the season? Yeah, I think there's definitely some truth to that. Um, and, of course, you know, I think Jim Irsay is a very hopeless romantic and thought that <laughs> Joe Saturday was going to get it turned around and that they would have some sort of success. I mean, I can relay what he said to Mike Chappell and Bob Kravitz in those 24-hour uh, period after that Monday night press conference, you know, about a month and a half ago, he was pretty adamant of, no, we can go 9-7-1 and one, and we can get in. And I, I believe in his personnel. And, you know, lo and behold, that's not going to happen. So um, selling that to your fan base at the end of the year, again, that's going to be a huge, huge question mark that you have. Um, and I'm going off of, you know, again, Ursay's comments about um, what he thought the final eight games could be. And I think at some point, certainly personnel is a big, big issue. And I have attention with how you evaluate Chris Ballard. But you also point to some Jeff Saturday stuff, and it's a bit of a head-scratcher with some of these kind of in-game things and game management and, you know, the, the usage of Jelani Woods the other night against Dallas and, you know, not talking to Matt Ryan about his injury situation when clearly if you watch him now versus early in the year, something is wrong, something is different from what he was doing. Um, they, yes, they've gotten off the better starts, and I think the offensive line play has gone from horrific to not great but not horrific. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still an offense that can't score, and it's still a team that really, really struggles, especially late in games. So uh, that's going to be something that at the end of the year, Ursay's going to operate how Ursay wants to operate, of course. Uh, but that record, man, considering what Jim said, if it's two and six or something along those lines, that's going to be a tough, tough sell. And that's my point was this. If you really wanted to, to have him embraced, because this is still going to be kind of a wild-ass idea anyway, but if you start the offseason and go in that direction and then give him a clean slate instead of now really muddying up the water with him, because I think if you ask most Colts fans out there, maybe I'm wrong about this. But if you ask most Colts fans right now, Kev, they would suggest that he's not been great and he should not be the head coach in the future. Thus, I think you've done him a complete disservice in throwing him out there with this team when you did. Yeah, and, you know, some might argue if you would have done it, you know, if you would have just, what, Bubba Ventrone is the interim and then hired Jeff Saturday at the end of the season – uh, and, and he would have been, you know, obviously on a much, much longer leash and would have been the guy for multiple years. That would have been, you know, a, not the path to go down. And maybe you're, I don't know, finding out 
a bit of a quicker answer on Saturday. I just don't feel like these two months you can justify it with like concrete. Yes. Great coach, horrible coach, whatever, because to your point, it was such an awful situation to be thrown into. It's not like you had a bye week any, any time quickly. You had to go a month into Saturday's tenure before you got to that first bye week. Again, the quarterback situation was very awkward. Um, I think as a football team, you know, personnel, again, there were a lot bigger questions that I think Jim Mersey wanted to admit and, and maybe wants to admit about his football team. So uh, when they get to the end of the year, they have got to got to exhaust the interview process, look at anybody and everybody. Obviously, there's going to be more coaching openings that happen, you know, when we get to mid-December every year. I feel like it looks like there's not a lot and there ends up being a decent amount. Um, if you look at it right now, I don't know if we'll get over like five, maybe. I mean, right now we got two in Indian Carolina. You'll see about Arizona and Denver and, you know, maybe the Chargers. I'm sure I'm forgetting a few others. But, you know, if it stays five or less, I mean, the Colts should have a nice pick. Of course, the question becomes is how enticing is this job to people and how do they look at the quarterback situation and do they look at the owner at all? And does that cause any reservations for people um, if they feel like their resume, you know, has proven themselves enough to where they can be a little bit choosy with this process. We allowed to recognize with just the tremendous backpedaling that Tennessee is involved in right now, just how much worse it makes this Colts season, considering what they're trying to do to apparently give that division to anybody, anybody that seemingly would want it right now, anybody that's competitive enough to want it right now. Doesn't it make the situation that much worse? Yeah, definitely. Um, that was one of the thoughts I had on Sunday. You know, as good of Sunday, um, as good of a Sunday as it was for the Colts with, you know, Seattle losing um, to Carolina and, and what you had with Jacksonville beating Tennessee to help you in draft position, um, I also felt like it was a bit salt in the wounds in that you watch Tennessee now losers of three straight. They fire their GM. They've lost their last two by a combined 39 points. The division, again, is sitting there on a platter. And I don't think anyone thought throughout the year Tennessee was even going to sniff the number one seed that they had last year because these injuries to Harold Landry and Taylor Lewan from early in the year, big, big injuries to important players, obviously the trade of A.J. Brown, it would eventually catch up to them. And, you know, they feasted on the AFC South early on, feasted on the Colts, uh, you know, amongst that start. And now you're starting to see um, some slip up here. And it's the only division in the AFC that the Colts are in. If they're in any of the other divisions, they already be officially eliminated from the playoffs. And yet, you know, you aren't really in a serious position to threaten them over the final four weeks of the year. And I think that's just what adds to how big of a disappointment it is. You know, something I said earlier in the week, John, of if you're going to be bad and the Colts are bad this year, you want to be bad and be young at quarterback. You want to have – those growing pains of, oh, you know, it's Peyton Manning's first year and 3-13 and 13 is okay. Or I think in a way, you know, Chicago kind of feels that with Justin Fields right now. Yeah, it's a disappointing record, but we feel like we've got the guy at quarterback. You don't feel that here in Indy. Your record's awful and your quarterback situation is murky at best and doesn't have an obvious and clear path moving forward. And I think that's what makes the season – one of the most disappointing this franchise has had in multiple decades of not only was the division sitting there for you, but also you look at your own record, you look at the future of the most important position in sports. And when those two are not matching up, 
that just adds to the sting of this year. You allowed to be really disappointed in what took place in Vegas for IU on Saturday? Um, I think a little bit, yeah. I mean, obviously, it was another reminder of what Jalen Hood-Chefino, I think, means um, to this basketball team. Um, I think where you're disappointed is your big guys that have started for you for so many years got outplayed. And when a Big Ten team plays a Pac-12 team, that that, that shouldn't happen. I mean, you're, you're All-American and a guy in Race Thompson who started or even Malik Renew, if you want to throw him into the mix, you know, they should be able to. Um, I think handle or, you know, play up to par with an Arizona front court that, you know, has a first year starter in Balo and then the Turbellis kid was kind of a, you know, secondary, third, you know, maybe not even that type of option for them last season. So I think that's where your disappointment was is I, I saw an Indiana team that, you know, maybe a little bit caught up in the moment of playing in that atmosphere where they're the team returning all those starters. Arizona has several new starters in that lineup. They lost the lottery pick in Mather and another draft pick in Dalton Terry, and yet they seem much more comfortable early on in that environment. And again, your big guys got outplayed. So I think that's where the disappointment is. Certainly, but Shafino not being in the lineup, big, big loss. Um, we'll see about his availability for Saturday. Because I do think Saturday's big just to kind of firm up a little bit of this non-conference resume because North Carolina, I don't think it's going to look like the sort of win that you were hoping for uh, when the schedule came out or obviously when you got that win a couple weeks back. I think at Xavier still going to be a nice win, but with already dropping one in the Big Ten, I, I think you would you would love to get this one on Saturday because that's going to look great, assuming Kansas continues to have the year that, that they're expecting. And this is a Kansas team that you know doesn't isn't very deep. I don't think they have the front court size that Arizona has. Um, so this is a, I think it's kind of a big one just to firm up that resume and, um, you know, show a little bit of resolve from what you had in Vegas, which, um, yeah, you came back in that game, but I thought the start was so poor that, that that's what the disappointment was for me. I, uh, I said this before the Arizona game. I just wanted to see them split. I mean, it'd be great if you got greedy and, and you won them both, but I, I really wanted to see IU split. And all along, I guess, because you go from a, a neutral setting in Vegas to now Allen Fieldhouse, it's going to be much more difficult now to get that with this Kansas team. So I, I guess maybe that also factored in with the disappointment of watching IU and, and IU getting down early. I know they fought their way back, and that's great. But, you know, early on, they just looked absolutely outclassed. And, and hopefully they don't get off to that slow start in Lawrence coming up on Saturday because I don't know if it would be so easy to come back in that environment. Yeah, you know, it's maybe a bit unfair because Trace has carried this team for such long stretches throughout his four years down there. But I, I would have liked for your All-American to, to play like that in that sort of environment. Again, I just felt like it looked like an Indiana team a little bit caught up in, in Vegas, frankly. Um, and I thought Arizona looked like a team that was locked in, you know, from the opening first couple of possessions that carried throughout the first half. And, you know, similar to what we've been talking about with the, with the Pacers, when you dig yourself that type of hole, you spend so much injury getting back into it. Um, sometimes you're not able to continue that over the course of 40 minutes. So to your point, John, you know, I felt like, the, the, the four non-conference games at Xavier, home to Carolina, uh, Arizona neutral floor, and at Kansas. If you could go two and two, uh, you, you would take that. It, it does look like the two wins you've gotten maybe though aren't as you know aren't as nice on the resume as obviously what Purdue has gotten. You know, out in in, in Portland with 
with, with getting the quad one wins, getting them away from home. Certainly Indiana still has another chance at it. Uh, but dropping the Rutgers game you know, a little bit more is at stake for that. Obviously, not a team that you're going to be debating a resume come March on the bubble. But when you talk about kind of seed lines and things like that and avoiding, you know, 5-12, something along those lines, that's where some of this stuff can come into play. Kevin Bowen with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. What do you guys got working in the morning? So we've got, um, I think we got Fad Mod of Friday, actually. I need to double back and look at the schedule. Butler, obviously, with a huge one with UConn coming into their building. So we got Fad Mod on Friday. Tomorrow, uh, Ross Tucker is going to join us um, NFL analyst. He's, a, he's got the rate, national radio call uh, for the game on Saturday, Colton Vikings. So we'll talk to Ross Tucker, get a little bit of a national look at things uh, for Indy. And obviously, recapping this one, and as I'm scrolling through the old Twitter timeline, it sounds like Steph Curry's going to give it a go tonight. Yep, that's what I just saw too. So we shall see what happens. Kev, I appreciate it. Thanks for hanging in there. Yep. Thanks, John. Kevin Bowen, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. But on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he is back and good to go. The stretch run of the season, the voice of the Colts, gets to go to Minneapolis coming up this weekend for a Saturday afternoon affair with the Vikings, the voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, again on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you? You've been in that stadium before, right? Yeah, I've been there twice, actually. We played there, I think, 2016, late in the season, kind of about this same time of the year in fact and then last year in the preseason and uh yeah it's uh it's it's pretty spectacular you know last year or last week I should say in, in Dallas was great this week in Minnesota another great stadium so um pretty pretty cool the like the modern the modern bar has been set by these stadiums that are going to be opening up uh, or have opened up here as of late and then Tennessee's going to get a new one I'm sure that'll be yeah. spectacular as well so yeah, it's pretty cool, these new stadiums, what they offer and the sight lines and all the amenities. Well, and then you get the, uh, what is it, Skull? Skull? Not Skull. Skull's a tobacco. But Skull, is that what they do? They do that really loud and it's obnoxious and it sucks? That's what they do well, up there? I, yeah, it's, it's, it's S-K-O-L, so however you pronounce that. I think it's, Skull, right? Skull. Yeah, I'm from, yeah. I get a, I'm from southern Indiana. I can say Skull and get away with it. <laughs> Yeah, they're, not, right. they're not going to Speedway and getting a can of Skull. I can, say, I can say Hawking and get away with it, too, if I wanted to. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, so they uh, do that, and they've got the, uh, the, the Yaller horn or the Viking horn and the Viking chant that they do, you know, after big plays and third downs and, and things like that. So, it, I remember last year. Now, I, I think I kind of chalk this up to, you know, football's back and crowds are back after the, the 2020 season, but, we played there last year in the preseason, like I said, like on a Saturday night. I think it was their first home preseason game, and I think the place was sold out. And I think people were just, you know, like I said, just chomping at the bit to 
you know, go back and see football and then be at a football game and experience it. But it was loud. It was raucous. And, you know, the decibel level there with, uh, you know, the, the, the PA system was pretty high. So I, I just remember it being a really good crowd and a really good environment. Yeah, well, that's what you get coming up on Saturday afternoon. That's a 1 o'clock start, 10 a.m. Your coverage begins uh, with us on the uh, Colts pregame huddle on 97.1 Hank FM. All right, what have you gathered from yesterday? I know that everything's officially underway. Everything's going back to business now, doing uh, practice-wise. What, um, what are you looking for as far as this matchup is concerned on Saturday? Yeah, I think everybody's just sort of back and renewed and, and energized and, and just looking at these final four games. And obviously, you know, mathematically, it's going to be really difficult to make the playoffs. I mean, we all know that. But I think what the Colts are trying to do in these last four games is just prove to themselves and, and prove to the fan base that, you know, through 13 games, 4-8-1, and one, they're just not the team that they've been through 13 games. Now, you know, the other side of that is, well, you know, 13 games, that's 75% of the season. You know, you, you are – sort of who you are at that point. And, and while that's true, I think the Colts are looking at these final four games, the last quarter of the season, trying to prove some people wrong that if, if we just play clean football, if we just stop turning the football over at the rate that we have, you know, we can be a good football team. I mean, this is the rhetorical question that we've been asking, you know, for basically, you know, better part of, of half the season. I mean, the Colts have 26 turnovers on the season. Where would they be? How, how many more wins would they have if that number was just in half, right? If they just had 13 instead of 26, you know, would they be at, at seven wins or eight wins? And if, if that's the case, then they're right there in the thick of it, obviously, in the AFC South and you know, a wild card team uh, inside the AFC trying to get one of those top seven spots. So I think that's the objective here in those, these last couple of games. And, you know, guys inside the locker room, they don't give a rip about – you know, draft order and and uh, things like that because, you know, I mean, the, the, their their tape is their resume. That's who they are in the NFL. So if you just say, well, you know, we're we're however many games under 500, we're however many games out of the playoffs. You know, I, I can just go ahead and loaf and you know sit out these games or you know not take it as serious and or you know just go at at 85 percent speed and that's okay. Everybody watching the tape will understand that. No, man, like that's that's who you are if you do that and everybody around the nfl understands that and and uh you know so so teams also recognize that if if you're going to quit on the colts you're going to quit on me right you're going to quit on my team so why should i you know bring you back or why should i re-sign you in free agency so from that standpoint i think guys are still 100 percent locked in and um so that that's going to make these these last four games pretty interesting when you balance you know trying to to win, but also trying to, you know, build some momentum and some chemistry going into the offseason. So Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I think, to me, what adds to the suck about this is that Tennessee is, like, backpedaling in December at a feverish pace right now. And you just – you can bring up the what-ifs. I mean, what if here or there – you do something right. You do something better. You get a win. And we're talking about something completely different right now because Tennessee, Tennessee, normally you start to hit a bit of a stride with a Vrabel team right now. Mm -hmm. These guys are moonwalking like stinking crazy going into middle of December. Right. I mean, what are they on their, their first three-game losing skid since 2018? 
And and honestly, like I think they've done a lot of this to themselves, you know, just yeah. on the outside looking in. I mean, not being there every day, right? It's easy for me to say, but I mean, firing the general manager sort of out of nowhere. I mean, he's got a you know, a really good record as a GM and has, you know, made the playoffs consistently there and so you know, for for whatever you know, I don't know what happened, but they're just like you know, good, good, just not good enough. We want to be great, but in the meantime, you know, the, the team has sort of hit a slide, and they're not playing good football, and they're not able to run the football as effectively as they want to with Derrick Henry. So, yeah, it just if you're if you're the Colts, it's just yeah, that that's what makes it even more, you know, it's it's doubly frustrating because you know if you just go back to the Commanders game or the Pittsburgh game where you're not able to close that game out in the fourth quarter or the Philadelphia game where you've got them on the ropes, you know, up by 10 points in the fourth quarter, not able to close those games out, you know, like you'd be right there. I mean, this would be a really competitive race with four games to go with Tennessee and that still can happen. I mean, Tennessee's got four games left against some really good teams. So, I mean, you never know in the NFL. I mean, you never say never until the math just tells you that it's not possible. Um, but yeah, that if, if had the Colts been able to just win a handful more games where they had the opportunity right there, and not being able to kind of finish the deal and close the door, you know, this would be a really interesting race to win the AFC South for the first time since 2014 with four games to play. Yeah, they're trying their damnedest to let Jacksonville get in on this thing too, which yeah. is incredible. I just, I mean, I know a lot of people. And now you mentioned the players aren't. I understand that. But a lot of people have kind of focused their attention on, you know, hopefully getting a younger quarterback and, and draft intensive in this case uh, for the fan base right now. But, man, can you imagine just a game here and there? You know, that yeah. commander's game, for example. It's a couple here or there. What we might be talking about right now because of the way Tennessee is playing. It's, um, it, it, to me, it just makes it worse. It just makes it a lot worse. Yeah, it, it does, and, and it, it is frustrating. And, and trust me, I mean, every game is so magnified in the NFL. I mean, we've talked about this so many times in the past. This isn't like the NBA or Major League Baseball. You only get 17 opportunities, so they all have huge significance. So you go all the way back to, you know, week one, right? I mean, how many plays could, could you have made in, in the first couple of quarters uh, against Houston where that game's not a tie, and, and there's your fifth win, and then, the Commanders games, there's the, that. That's your sixth win, and the Philly games, seven wins. I mean, I hate to do this. This is an it's an excruciating exercise, but you know, I think it also goes to show that this is a a team that's four eight and one, and it's that old Bill Parcells line. You know, you are what your record says you are. But I think we can all agree that this team is so much better than four eight and one. But the problem is, is that they have hurt themselves so many times. And they have let the opposition take advantage of those mistakes so many times. And that's just sort of the story of the season. Um, you know, hopefully that, 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 that narrative sort of gets replaced in these last four. But right now, if you're writing the book on the Colts in 2022, it's, it's turnovers, it's offensive line not being able to live up to their expectations, and it's a defense that's been pretty, pretty good but obviously not in that elite category or, you know, that, that complete shutdown category where they've got, you know, if you're down a score or two in the fourth quarter against the Colts, you got no chance. I mean, that just hasn't been able to, that just hasn't been the case 
this year with the Colts letting teams off the hook. So that's sort of the next step for that unit in these in this last month of the season. But but yeah, I mean it, it has been a, a very frustrating season, excruciating season on trying to play the all the what ifs on what this season could have been. But I think all of the the self harm the Colts did to themselves has certainly contributed to where they're at right now. So Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts. Before I let you go, so I huffed paint in the bathroom the past couple of days for my whole bye week, getting off some time to myself. And I uh, bought I bought and installed a new toilet seat, and I, I I skimped on it. I'll never do that again. You, do you think somebody like me that values the toilet seat as much as I do would find the top of the top of the line? And clearly, I didn't. So I did those things to help out my bathroom. What did you do in your time off, as far as the bye week was concerned? Oh man, good for you. Um, yeah, I, yes. I spent I spent a lot of time just catching up on life. You know, things around the house that I've sort of you know metaphorically swept under the rug for four and a half months because of the busy nature of the season. So catching up on housework and running errands, we had a birthday party for my six-year-old now. So that nice. was fun. We got we got to see Santa on Saturday, took my wife out for her birthday on Friday night. So it was a, it was a busy off week, but kind of a, it was busy in a different way, if you will. But you should have called me. I could have helped you paint the bathroom because you know, I painted oh. houses and I, I painted yeah. I painted houses for like eight years between high school and college. That's what I did for a summer job. So I, I shut the door. Thing, I think I, I got stoned in there. An hour. Yeah, I, I shut the door. I think I was kind of overtaken by the fumes and got a little bit stoned in there. I think. <laughs> now, did you do did you do a primer and then two coats, or did you just go up there and put one coat? Oh, on? I just I went up there with that ceiling paint, like yeah. uh, I mean, I, I went up there like a man possessed with ceiling paint. I just went up with that. <laughs> I don't, uh, see, gotta, I'm, I'm such a good painter of the ceiling. I don't even need to put down, like, plastic. <laughs> I'll put some frog tape up, and I'm all good, brother. It's yeah. me. You got to so. spackle. You got you to spackle. You got to caulk, man. You got to get those smooth surfaces now. You got to do some sanding. Yeah. I'll yes. come over there and check your work. You got it. Well, I'm also up next is I'm going to put backsplashes on. How about that? Yeah. Give me – Give me some grout, a good recipe for grout, and I'm on it. Backsplash you're time, like, baby. You're like Bob Vila, man. That's impressive. This old house with JMV. You know what I do? It's funny. I like go in there for like 30 minutes and do some stuff, and then go out and watch TV for about 50 minutes, and then go back in for another 30 minutes. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not surprised. That is your productivity chart. <laughs> oh man! I go. Yeah. Wait a minute. There's something good on right now. Hey, there's some nudity on it. Hold on a second. The paint can wait. Yeah, I didn't see this. Uh, well, anyway, I know 10 a.m. with us. We're going to lead you into you and Rick and Lara up in Minneapolis on Countdown to Kickoff. 10 a.m. We all get that started on 97.1 Hank FM coming up on Saturday morning, correct? Correct. Actually, yeah, that's, that's all correct. But uh, unfortunately, Rick is, is feeling under the weather, um, mm. and he's, he's not going to be able to make the trip. So we're really bummed about that. So, no Rick in, in Minnesota, so Joe Wright is going to fill in, make the trip, and uh, okay. be in the booth with me on, on Saturday doing some color work. So, um, you know, love, love Rick. Love working with Joe as well. I mean, Joe's done the last couple of preseasons with me in the booth, so it's not going to be foreign. He'll do a great job. But, yeah, Rick not feeling well, so we wish him 
the best on the men in terms of getting over the illness that's going around town now. I got it. I, I'll, I'll give him a ring, too. I didn't know that he was illing a little bit. So Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, you know, it's okay that you asked Joe Wrights and not me. I won't take offense. <laughs> well, we, we want to talk about the game and not Cinemax. That's the problem. Oh, man. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that game gets a little bit out of line, and I'm going to start talking about the Emmanuel series like in the second yeah. quarter or something. So, yeah. You're going to give I us can a understand. full diagnosis. Full diagnosis on the cheerleaders, right? Yeah, Pete Ward would be doing a face palm somewhere up in that stadium, I'm sure. <laughs> doing that. Maybe in the maybe in that, that third preseason game, one of these. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, buddy, I appreciate that. We'll talk again soon, man. Thanks, Matt. All right, man. Be well. It's a Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. 